please be seated. Thank you so much. Good afternoon, everybody. It's great to be back. I was, uh, was I away last week? Yeah. I was. And we had a great uh, guest speaker, Steve Burns. I want to thank you so much for, yeah. for speaking. Uh, thank you so much. I was in Las Vegas. Oh, yeah. Uh, one word. It's all black. Just put it on black. No, I didn't go to the casinos. I was there with my son who was playing in a football tournament for the weekend, and I got to go up to Vegas and and see the, the great Emerald City, and, uh, and then pass it through, because I'm with my son, and there was no temptation to gamble my mortgage. I wasn't tempted, I resisted, and came home. Seven hours to drive back from Vegas to uh, Camarillo. You may be wondering what this is doing in the front of me. This is my, my prop for my sermon. And this is what you would call the Bible. I know most of you guys don't even know what this is because you have your phone in your Bible, but this is actually called the Bible. Before there was a phone, this is what most of humanity used to read the words of God. It was this bound in this little leather binding, and inside were ancient documents describing the story of God. So my, my series and my sermon today is about the Bible and how we got the Bible. It's for adults who were introduced to the Bible as children. It's for, it's adults who were introduced to the Bible as adults. Why is this important? Why is the story of how we got the Bible important? Because most people don't know the story of how the Bible came to be. Understanding how we got it is almost as important as knowing what's in it. It's the backstory that sheds light on what we would call our faith. Now, if you be with me, last week we had Jay Minor come. I mean, two weeks ago, Jay Minor came and he talked about trusting the story in the book of Genesis, how they came out of slavery and how their value was not in what they did, but in who they were. And there was this little, little nugget in the book of Genesis that said Moad and it was season and it was rest. God wants you to rest in him. And I want you to trust the story. But I have a question. How did we ever get the story of the Bible? If you don't know the story of the Bible, it's easy to discount the stories in the Bible. Here's the problem. The way you got your Bible is not the way we got the Bible. Some of you guys went to the app store and downloaded your Bible. Some of you used to go into the Christian bookstore and you'd see all the different colors and all the different selections of translation. You're going, which Bible do I want? Center reference, life application. There was Greek, Hebrew. There's so many choices of how you got your Bible, but it's not how we got the Bible. The first time I saw the Bible, I was a little boy and my mom has it out on this little this little, this little um, it's almost like, like a music stand, but it's not. And it's open up and it's a song. And I was just a little boy. And I was like, oh. And she's like, there's the Bible. And when she said that, I was like, it's all true. <laughs> I haven't even read it. It's true. It's, it's, just, it's the Bible. It's from God. 
And, and she'd take me to church, and I'd see the building. Well, it's the Bible. I'd see it. You know, the priest would have it open. I'm like, there it is. It's all true. And for me, it was easy to believe that. But for some, it's not, it's not that easy. Like, I don't, there's some pretty gnarly stuff in there. I need a little more information. And, important, and it's very important for us to know that people can lose their faith because how did, how did that came to be? It's, it's, some things are bizarre in there. So it's good to know how we got the story of the Bible. The Bible. What about you? Were you encouraged to read it as a kid? No, you would have been bored stiff. Some of you guys maybe went to Sunday school class and you had a good teacher. Maybe a priest read it to you. Either way, we carry some of our childhood understandings into our adulthood. And for some, the Bible just, it's just not enough. So this series is important for your faith. And it's important that if your faith can trust the story, your faith will grow. And some of you will be surprised to discover that the story of the Bible does not begin in the beginning. It actually begins in the middle. In the beginning, it begins with a first century Greek man named Luke. He's not Jewish. He's a doctor. And he documents events surrounding the life of, of Jesus. Luke has his friend who's super rich. And he asks Luke, hey, I want an orderly account of what everyone's talking about Jesus. I want to know the exact account of what happened. He had heard the stories and he spoke with eyewitnesses about Jesus and his miracles. But Theophilus wanted an orderly account of how this whole thing transpired. It's kind of like hearing bits and pieces of a story. And you're like, can I get the whole story? You know when your kids will come in, you have multiple kids, and one kid says one thing, you're going, that's, and she says another, you're going, what's the whole story? Can someone give me an orderly account of what happened? So Luke decides, for the sake of his friend, to sit down and write an orderly account of the story of Jesus. He writes, Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. We may know this as the gospel of Luke, but let's not call it the gospel of Luke because he's not writing the Bible. He's just writing an orderly account of the events that happened, talking to the eyewitnesses about the story of Jesus. Something happened that was worth documenting that many have undertaken, many, and that's interesting because Luke's like, I'm not the only one that's documenting this. There are many other people that are putting down the story of Jesus of what actually happened in this region of the world. And it's unusual because in the ancient world, there's not a lot of accounts of many historical documents of the same events. That's rare. So just the story of Jesus in itself, the fact that many are writing a document about the story of Jesus and the life of Jesus, in some way, it stands by itself higher above anything else. So let's bring on. With this in mind, he says, with this in mind, I myself have carefully 
investigated everything from the beginning, going back to the beginning of Jesus' life. He goes, I, along with a lot of other people, have decided to write an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus. Theophilus was an important person. He was well known. He was either a merchant or a landowner who was a disciple of Jesus. And he wanted to know the story in order. So he wanted to know the facts. And so when Luke was writing this document, Luke is not writing the Bible back then. Luke had no idea that this document would ever survive 2,000 years. Luke isn't writing the Bible. He's just giving us an orderly account that's carefully investigated for his awesome friend, Theophilus, who had money to pay him to write stuff. Because of the way he did this, Luke tells us the why and the how of how the Bible came to be. Now, Luke's documenting something incredible, something that happened in the first century. And, his story te- and the story tells us of a man named Joseph of Arimathea and a man named Nicodemus. They're part of like the Supreme Court of the Jew- Jewish religion. And these two guys that everybody knew in that region would have known. That's why they're in there. They were famous in the first century of, Ju- of Judaism. They went to, t- to the cross to take down the body of Jesus. Not because he was the savior of the world. Not because they believed their name would get written in a book sometime. They did it because they respected him so much. But they were also disappointed because clearly Jesus was not who he claimed to be. Luke is writing a detailed account. It's detail-oriented. They wrapped him in linen cloth. They placed him in a tomb, cut in the rock. He's a doctor. He's trying to write an orderly account. And then he goes on to write about the women who had come with Jesus from Galilee, followed Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, and saw the tomb and saw how the body was laid in it. Then they went home and prepared spices and perfumes. Why did they go and prepare spices and perfumes for Jesus's body? Why would they do that? Because Jesus was dead and everyone expected Jesus to stay dead. And in this moment, this is so important. There are no Christians. There are no disciples. There is no church. There is no hope. There are just broken hearted women and 12 disillusioned disciples who are scared for their lives. Rome, the eternal city, the gods of the Roman Empire have won again. The temple of the gods have won again. The leaders of the temples have won again. Between Rome and the temple, the Jesus movement was crushed out of existence. And if it ended there, there would be no church. There would be no Christians. There would be no Old Testament. Nothing. 
and there would be no account of Luke. But the story of Jesus would not end on the cross. Luke documents this. He goes on to tell us that, hey, I'm a Jesus follower. And the reason why Theophilus was a Jesus follower in the first century is because he was seen alive. People saw Jesus alive. And he came back to life. And once he came back to life, his followers came out of hiding. And they went back to Jerusalem. And they went to the streets of Jerusalem. And they confronted the very men who killed Jesus. And they go there in Jerusalem to face down the very men who killed the Savior. Who were responsible for taking him to Pilate. Who were responsible for Pilate crucifying him. And Luke documents that these men just sat in the face of extraordinary pressure. Literally, literally risking their lives. They said this to the crowd. God has raised this Jesus to life. And we are all witnesses of it. He's trying to write an exact account of what happened. You handed him over to, to be killed and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy, holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. We didn't read about it. We didn't hear about it. We saw him. And so the Jesus movement, the church, was birthed. But still, there's no Bible. Luke goes on to document what happens next over the next 30 years after the resurrection. He documents more called in your Bible the book of Acts or the Acts of the Apostles. Luke knows Peter and he interacts with Peter and they have conversations. Luke knows John and they have conversation. And Luke knows James, the brother of Jesus. These, all, these men all knew each other. Luke travels with Paul the Apostle. He travels around the known world. And the more and more the church grew, the more Gentile it became, the less Jewish it became. And the movement called the church, even the secular, most secular historians say this, it shaped the Western civilization that we have today. Why so many accounts though? Why would others feel so compelled to write the accounts and document the events that happened in the first century surrounding the city of Jerusalem? The answer is undeniable. Something extraordinary happens. Not something extraordinary was written. Something extraordinary happened. Something extraordinary written would come later. Something happened that had to be preserved. In fact, the apostle Peter dictates his accounts to a young Greek man named Mark. His actual name is John Mark. And we know this because in the second century, someone writes that the book of Mark, one of the church fathers, came from the lips of Peter. He had someone writing it down. He sat down, he gave a story, and we have the gospel of Mark. And if you notice Mark, it's like action packed. It's like, this happened, that happened, this happened. It's almost like a fisherman was telling the story. And I went there, and I died, and this, and that. Very fast, very fast book. Yet, no Bible. And John Mark is no mystery to history because John Mark, he traveled 
with the Apostle Paul. John Mark knew Luke. He was a friend of Luke. And this document was written in the 50s, not the 1950s, like the real 50s, like the 50-50s, like zero to 50, you know what I mean? 20 years after the resurrection, Luke said several people sat down to write down this extraordinary event, and Matthew was one of them. We call it the Gospel of Matthew, but let's not call it the Gospel. He was just writing a document. He was just writing an account of what happened. And the church fathers tell us that the book of Matthew was originally in Hebrew, not Greek. But they translated it to Greek because the Roman Empire spoke Greek. But it was originally written to the Hebrews because he's writing to the Hebrews going, Jesus was the Messiah. All the Old Testament passages, all the prophecies, he fulfills them. He was the one. Matthew writes the account. Pretty crazy. And then there's John. The one that Jesus loved the most, according to his document. (laughs) Why bother? I mean, all these people writing accounts. John, why bother writing? Matthew's got one. Mark's got one. Peter's got Everyone's got their document. Why bother John? John is simply documenting his experiences. And in this document we call the Gospel of John later. Is an important document for all of us. And I'll tell you why. Because John writes this. There were many things that Jesus did that are not recorded in this book. And here's something very important to know. That John says that there are events that Jesus, th- that Jesus does and things that happened to Jesus and things that didn't show up in this book. And he's saying that this is not a reference book. I'm documenting the life and the works of Jesus. But these are written that you, who is the you? You is you. You is me. You is us. In other words, John is saying the reason that I've written this account of the life of Jesus is that whoever stumbles across this document, they will know the story. Imagine this. He spends all this time documenting the story and he has no idea if it's going to last a day, a week, a month. He has no idea, much less 2,000 years. And for several hundred years later, be wrapped together with other ancient documents that we would call the Bible. He has no idea. He's not thinking Bible. He's just thinking, I want future generations to know what I saw. I want future generations to know what I experienced. I want future generations to know what changed my life, what changed my worldview, what gives me hope when the world around me seems totally hopeless. I want people to know that they are written that you may believe. Now, again, we have to ask the question, believe what? I mean, John, what is it you want us to believe? That Jesus is in fact the the Messiah to the Jews, the Son of God to the Greeks, to the Son of God to the Romans. And by believing, you may have life in his name. And the implications of that statement are staggering. Because what we call the Gospel of John, here's why. It's an account of the life of Jesus. And if it's, the account, if it's the only thing you have is the account of John, it's the only thing you need to believe in Jesus. That's what he's saying. If anyone stumbles across this account, it's the only thing they need. You guys know this. 
Because many of you, just like in the past, were instructed to read the book of John for someone to come to faith. Many of you in this room, when you first started coming to church, they asked you, start in the book of John. Where do I start? Start. There's a reason why we tell people that. Because his document stands alone. That's all you need to know to have faith in the Messiah. That's what he's saying. For decades, people have been directed, not to the Bible, but to John's account. And they read it and they believed. So as we arrive at the end of the first century, there is no Bible. Thousands of Christians, valuable documents documenting his life and his words. Can you imagine how valuable these documents must have been? People heard bits and pieces. Imagine, hey, my parents actually heard John and Peter preach. My parents, hey, Dad, come on in, tell the story. He comes in with a little piece of, well, we have this. Little fragments and documents. For decades, for three, four hundred years, people have been directed to read the book of John, the gospel of John. And after the first century, no Bible. At the end of the first century, there are thousands and thousands of Christians, Jewish Christians, Greek Christians, Roman Christians, Christians all over the world. And at the end of the first century, there are dozens and then hundreds and eventually thousands of copies of these documents floating around in the region, telling the life and the works of Jesus. And, for, and they were meticulously copied and they were bundled together. And some people have one gospel. Some people have two. Some people have part of one and part of another. Can you imagine being a first century disciple or a second century disciple? How valuable that document was. Perhaps they only heard the stories of Jesus. And then somebody comes to your town or village. Maybe it's your grandpa. And he comes and he comes and goes, hey, look what I got. And he, he takes the cloth. It's like, I got a full copy of the collections of John's writings about the life of Jesus. Read me one, Grandpa, read me one. Okay, okay. These are just documents. There's no app store. There's no Christian bookstore. It's just a bunch of documents that people were writing about Jesus because it was extraordinary that he came back to life. It had to be written down. It had to be saved. So let me catch you up. The empire was suspicious of the Christians. Not because of what they believed as much as what they didn't believe. Now, Rome could care less what, what God you worship. As long as you just threw a little grain offering here to the gods, grain offering here to Caesar, they didn't care if you brought, you had your regional God, your local God, your, they didn't care. They were saying, you can worship any God you want, just make sure you throw a little, little grain offering to the gods and, and make sure that Caesar gets a grain offering once in a while. But that was a problem for the Christians because the Christians refused to declare that Caesar was Lord. They declared that Jesus was Lord and that offended Caesar. 
and the gods. And any time something went bad in the empire, just like in America, they look for someone to blame, right? It's just our nature. And things were good in the empire, it was a blessing of the gods. But when things went bad in the empire, they just assumed that the gods were disturbed. And if the gods were disturbed, why were the gods disturbed? We know why the gods are disturbed. It must be the growing number of Christians who don't recognize the gods. A third century disciple writes this about the situation that they found themselves in. If the Tiber floods, it's a river, the Tiber River floods the city, or if the Nile refuses to rise, or if the sky withholds its rain, if there is an earthquake, a famine, a pestilence, at once they, the cry is raised, Christians to the lions. Christians were blamed for everything that went bad in the empire. And in 303, the emperor Diocletian writes an edict, a law, saying it is illegal now for Christians to gather. Every, their place of worship must be destroyed and every assembly is illegal. And the bishops were rounded up and forced to recant and give a sacrifice to the gods and to Caesar or they were punished by death. But worse than that, the edict also said, I want you to gather all the Christian documents and all their literature and turn it in because we're going to burn it. And this is important because what he was asking for wasn't the Bible. He was asking for the documents that people wrote about what happened in the life of Jesus. These disciples, they risked their lives protecting fragments of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And the reason that those valuable documents survived the third and fourth century is because of their confidence that these documents told the truth about something that happened on this planet in the first century when God showed up in the person we know as Jesus Christ. They would rather die than give up the documents. Even during that persecution, Christianity continued to spread. And the political change of the empire began to happen. And a man rose up by the name of Constantine. He became the undisputed emperor of Rome. Now when Diocletian was the emperor, Christians were willing to die protecting it. If you were caught with those documents, you'd see your wife, your son, your daughter be killed in that order if you didn't give them up. And so Constantine comes, becomes emperor. Christianity's growing. There's still no Bible. 
There's just these documents that people were dying for, hiding. That's why you find fragments. Say, Ark, I found a fragment of the Gospel of Luke. Yeah, because people were hiding them for fear. And Constantine reverses the edicts and the laws against Christianity. He canceled them and he returned the property to the church. He allowed Christians to worship freely and Christianity became the preferred religion in the empire. And so the for, for the first time, this is important, Christian scholars were able to work in the open and Christian scholars were able to work in the daylight and they were, Christian scholars were able to get together without fear of persecution, without fear of their ancient documents being taken away. They got together, they collected themselves and they got this extraordinary collection of valuable documents and they bundled them together. And we would call that the New Testament. And the stage was set for the very first time for meetings, for the very first, as they would say, ta Biblia, and we would say, the Bible. Ancient documents, Luke, Matthew, Mark, John, writing an orderly account of what happened, risking their lives because, hey, it really happened. We were witnesses. We saw this. Emperor wants to kill us. We're not giving him up. And I want to hold them up because without their bravery and without their courage, man, where would we be? Where would we be? No quiet times. There's so much more to the story. But we're going to pick up the story next week. Right now, we're going to focus on Jesus and what happened. According to their documents, he rose from the dead. And that's what we're going to celebrate right now. We're going to take the elements. We're going to, we're going to bow our heads. We're going to reflect on the amazing miracle of the resurrection of Jesus. Let's bow our heads and pray.